a shorthanded chance. Yenmark down the middle, scores! Matias Yenmark, shorthanded goal! From the Finley Chevrolet Fox Sports Las Vegas studios and live at LVSportsNetwork.com. Puck comes out high, Watt gets the puck, off to the races, into the zone, the righty, right circle, backhander, he scores! What a move! Nicholas Watt gets the Knights back in the lead! is the Vegas Golden Knights Insider Show. Your destination for inside access with the team, exclusive player interviews, and breaking news from around the National Hockey League. Here are your hosts, Darren Millard and Ryan Wallace. Welcome in Vegas Golden Knights Insider Show, Fox Sports Las Vegas. Ryan Wallace, Jared Justice, live inside the Finley Chevrolet Fox. Fox Sports Las Vegas Studios, Finley Chevrolet on the 215. Hope you're ready, Jared. Home of the... No, I wasn't. Yikes, that never, ever improves. It never improves. We try every time that you're in here covering for Chris Chapman, who is off today. We try to get the woo to come through a little bit cleaner, and yet... That's what we get. It's okay. We've got a lot of energy for the show. I know Jared's got a lot of energy for the show. In fact, he was mad at my guest host, my guest co-host today, and I for having a conversation before even getting onto the air. But hey, everybody, let's bring in Ashley Vice with the Vegas Golden Knights. She is going to be sitting in for the first hour of the show today. Hey, Ashley, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. I was nervous about filling in today, but then I heard Jared's woo right there, and I'm not as nervous <laughs> now. I think that maybe the expectations aren't as high as I thought they might be. So good to know. Thank you, Jared. I appreciate you making me comfortable. I like to set the bar low. <laughs> that way you we can, can only trip go over up it. from there. You can only go up from there. Yeah, it, it was rough around the edges for sure, but Ashley kind enough to spend an hour with us today. And fortunately for us today, Ashley, we got a little bit of news in the National Hockey League, specifically within the Pacific Division, as there was a, a big trade that we're going to get the, the nuts and bolts to. We're going to, to kind of view that from a Golden Knights perspective. We're going to get into uh, some of your thoughts, your notes on the Stanley Cup final. We're going to get to the Golden season so far. And generally speaking, we're going to have a lot of fun in hour number one. We're also going to be joined by Ben Goats at 5 o'clock. So hour number two, we've got Ben Goats. And then one of my favorite things to do with the show when Jared is in and, and covering for Chapman is to have Jared ask me questions about hockey. It's one of my favorite things. We're going to do that in one-timers. That'll be at 5.30. And then, of course, we'll pick the brain of Jared Justice to end the program. But let's start with the biggest news of of the day and that is a big time trade for the Los Angeles Kings and the Minnesota Wild. The Kings have traded their 2022 first round pick and University of Minnesota captain Brock Faber to the Minnesota Wild for restricted free agent forward Kevin Fiala. Fiala is coming off a breakthrough season. 33 goals, 85 points in 82 games, and it looks like the contract extension that's in play right now for Kevin Fiala and the Los Angeles Kings is going to be seven years, just under $7.9 million average annual value. So, Ashley, let's start with your thoughts on this trade. Well, first of all, I was excited that it came about just to have some news, honestly. The second the cup is handed out, I always have this feeling of, now what? 
do we dread. do? Yeah. We, yes. Yeah. Yes. I mean, of course, the draft and all that jazz is coming up around the corner. But, you know, just thirsty for the news. Um, it depends when you ask what I think about the trade uh, in general. Definitely a smart trade on both sides. I would say that Los Angeles Kings certainly get better. Uh, and the Minnesota Wilds, it was a trade that they knew they had to make. I actually recall before the first round of the playoffs this season, Kevin Fiala was being asked and so was Bill Guerin what they were going to do with him or what he needed to prove in the postseason that would make the Wild want to keep him around and I thought it was so strange that going into a playoff round that was a topic of discussion so it's something that had weighed heavily on the minds both of Kevin Fiala and on the Minnesota Wild um, and at least this way they get something out of it right they people knew that a move was probably going to have to be made now they get a good deal out of it a good young defenseman and the LA Kings get a heck of a player there. Uh, they're already a fast team. They're getting more fast, more skilled, and this just adds to that. And it always surprises me that Kevin Fiala is only 25. I, th- I feel like he's been yeah. around so much longer than that, uh, and now they're going to have him probably through the prime of his career. So the interesting thing for me is, is that I'm right in the same ballpark as you when it comes to Kevin Fiala. I feel like he's been around forever, and and I think part of that has to do with the – the run to the Stanley Cup final for the the Nashville Predators and how pivotal a role a very young Kevin Fiala, a, a relatively young Victor Arvidsson, who are now reunited in L.A. once again, had on that team and why a lot of people at that time felt like the Nashville Predators, it was just a matter of time before they won a Stanley Cup. But, you know, for, for Kevin Fiala coming off of a, a massive year, a career year for him, it's good to cash in, but it's good to also land in a spot where I, I think the skill set's really going to be able to be highlighted. With with the Los Angeles Kings, there, you can't really say much more about Andre Kopitar, but Phil Deneau last year for L.A. I think took a step in terms of his offensive production, and you know the defensive aspects are going to be there. As I mentioned, Victor Arvidsson's there, Kevin Fiala Arvidsson. They have a history playing together before. I just look at this as a really smart, shrewd move for the Los Angeles Kings to finally acquire a goal scorer that they've been looking for for a couple of seasons. Yeah, LA is looking at a pretty solid top six. And this mm-hmm. season, this past season, they overperformed. And now they're, you know, they want to show that that's not an anomaly. They're going to they're gonna keep building on that. So it's interesting when you look at the Pacific as a whole now, because I recall going into last season, it seemed like Vegas was going to be the favorite by quite a bit, right? Edmonton mm-hmm. was probably going to cause some problems, maybe Calgary. But now you look at it and LA obviously is looking to just keep getting better. Uh, you know, they showed what they could do last season, very much exceeded expectations. Edmonton is still Edmonton. <laughs> still have Connor McDavid, still have Leon Dreisaitl. <laughs> and I, I think we've learned that Calgary is uh, a team that can't be underestimated, mostly just because they're so difficult to play against and they're going to be such a big and such a heavy team. Pacific Division's looking pretty tough next year, if you ask me. Yeah, I, I think that this is a move for Los Angeles that, that kind of solidifies them or at least aims to solidify them as a team to be reckoned with in the Pacific Division. But, you know, you bring up kind of the 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 steps forward, the strides that were taken in the Pacific this year by teams like the Calgary Flames, like the Edmonton Oilers, like the Los Angeles Kings. And I think all of that is done through the lens of, okay, 
We know the Golden Knights are going to come back next season. You know they're going to be healthy at least to start, and there's going to be motivation there. I still think everything kind of has that that skew, that lens of we have to 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 kind of match whatever Vegas is going to put on the ice next season. But this is a, a really good move for Los Angeles to kind of push themselves and continue to push up the standings to hopefully be among a playoff team for a couple of years, for, for a little while anyway. Yeah, definitely. I think so. And they still have enough of the experience there that it's a it's a yeah. good combination. They're a young, fast-skilled team, but they do still have that veteran experience. But you bring up a good point about how Vegas is still kind of the gold standard, no pun intended there. But even a season where <laughs> they miss the playoffs, you you do get the sense that I don't. No one's going to write them off next year, right? They're still, they're still going to be considered a contender. They're still going to be a team that everyone gets up for. Uh, it's going to be that way for quite some time. So that is an interesting uh, angle of it as well. Um, but yeah, it's going to be a, a team with a really strong transition game, and it's going to be a test for a lot of a lot of teams to shut down defensively. Um, but you know, I think that's something that Vegas wants to look to do more of next year. So maybe LA is a good test for them. I think they want to be more sound defensively than they were this past season they want to be more difficult to play against and they want to be able to shut down those young fast teams yeah and that's that's really kind of the the next evolution i think of the vegas golden knights and and we'll we'll get a little bit more into bruce cassidy some of the other coaching announcements to come from the vegas golden knights that we got yesterday and john stevens joining uh the coaching staff as well um but i do want to take just a moment to look at this from the minnesota perspective because again like Mm -hmm. when you're the minnesota wild and you're finally back into the playoffs there's relevancy you've got kirill kaprizov there's an electric atmosphere about this team and you've got a 33 goal score in kevin fiala of course you're sitting there saying okay make it work right like bill Guerin. Give him what he wants. Make it work because we like to see the the pucks go in the net. We like to see this type of offensive outburst from from a player like Fiala, and it works with Kaprizov. But the fact of the matter is, when you've got nearly $12 million in dead cap space because of the buyouts of Zach Parise and, mm-hmm. and Ryan Suter, you're going to have to gut the team to keep Fiala. What does Garen do? He gets a really good prospect in favor who can skate well. He's a good right-shot defenseman. He's going to be a player that is going to have have an impact with the Minnesota Wild. It will happen, and you get a first-round pick out of it. As as much as Bill Guerin was kind of pushed up, up against the wall, I think he did pretty well considering that you're going to have to save money over the next couple of seasons. Yeah, I agree. I think it was a good move given the situation. I will say, though, I think that's part of why the way this playoffs postseason turned out for Minnesota uh, was such a kick in the gut because you know they already have the storyline of not being able to make it out of the first round but it was known going in that you might not have you know this this strong of a group uh, moving forward you don't know you know you know that you're not going to be able to keep everyone and that's why the expectations were so high on that team going into the first round of the playoffs so it really just made it sting more Uh, luckily we're here talking to Vegas fans not talking to Minnesota fans uh, but from an <laughs> and O standpoint from you know the from the money side of it uh you know it worked out he got uh some good pieces for it and you know people think that Brock Faber could be a really really not just a regular um NHL defenseman but a top four NHL defenseman on a regular basis yeah, and if you're going to be able to get a top four defenseman, and the timing of it's going to be the big thing for Minnesota because you've got 
that that dead cap space, you're going to want to line things up so that you can mitigate it now and really hit your stride on the other end of it. And, and I think that that to me is is more about uh, just trying to maximize what you have. And and it's not to suggest that. The, the buyouts weren't the right option. I think moving on from Zach Parise, moving on from Ryan Suter was the correct move for the Minnesota Wild. But boy, does it hurt, especially given how they flamed out in the playoffs last year. And the Central's a tough division, too. I'm sitting here talking sure, about the yeah. Pacific, but the Central's a tough division <laughs> as well. Uh, man, the West, man. I, and then I want to talk about the East because, gosh, the, I, it's just the NHL. You know, you hear all the players talk about it. Uh, I can, you know, be that cliche quote there's no such thing as an easy night in the National Hockey League you know we hear it all season long so I don't need to give you that in the summer (laughs) but yeah it'll be interesting interesting to see where Minnesota goes from here in terms of how they perform next season now the Kings are able to pull this move off and it doesn't really impact them on the National Hockey League level because their prospect pool is so deep and it's almost as if over the course of of you know last offseason the Los Angeles Kings just decided okay we're going to be good again we're going to find ways. We're going to bring in Phil Deneau. We're going to, to make some moves. We're going to make some trades. And we are going to give Andre Kopitar and Drew Doughty one more shot at a Stanley Cup. When when you look at the Pacific Division, like big 30,000-foot view here, I, you know, there's questions about the Calgary Flames in that are they going to lose Johnny Gaudreau? Are they going to be the same team? Are they mm-hmm. going to look the same? There's always going to be question marks surrounding the Edmonton Oilers. Even though they have Connor McDavid and Lee on Dreisaitl, it's going to be the question of depth and goaltending and whether or not they're going to be able to re-sign Evander Kane. Mm-hmm. Now Los Angeles, I, I think, is maybe one of the more stable teams in the division. Yeah. But like, do you have any team in this division that you feel like is, is more stable maybe than the Los Angeles Kings? That's a good question. No, I don't. I I do think that the future (laughs) looks bright for the Anaheim Ducks, so I think that we can't Mm -hmm. sleep on them. They weren't able to keep it going all throughout the season last season, but that first half of the season, I remember talking to, you know, some of the coaching staff that was here on the time, like, are they the real deal? I know some of us broadcasters asked them, you know, in confidence, (laughs) like, do you feel, and of course, if it's no, we won't say it to anyone, but um, it was like, yeah, they they are, so... Um, it's not that I think they are stable. They have a lot of work, a lot of growing to do, but the future looks really bright there. So I think that's an organization, you know, that as these next couple seasons go on, you want to keep an eye on. Uh, but yeah, you have a good point with the LA Kings and not really knowing how things are going to pan out with the Calgary Flames. Uh, it's interesting that you bring up Edmonton. It's kind of like... They're always going to have something to prove until they prove it, right? I feel like Colorado yeah. was just there until until <laughs> right now. So because you have these, you know, the the star-studded pieces and you know some of the top players in the league, and but do they have what it takes to get it done? So I hate to say that I don't think they're stable because I think a comment like that only motivates them, and then you never know what's going to happen. And mm-hmm. I'm not trying to you know give good uh, luck to any of these other teams in the Pacific Division, but it, you make a good point. Yeah, it's definitely. Um, stability for the LA Kings. I agree with you there. Yeah, so it, it's proving already to be kind of a big off season for Los Angeles. I, I don't know why I have the feeling, but I, I just feel like they're not done. Maybe there's a splash in free agency. Maybe you're looking to reunite Phil Forsberg with uh, Victor Arvidsson and Kevin Fiala. Who knows? Maybe it's the Hollywood Predators on, uh, and, and that's the direction <laughs> that they go. I'm not really sure what is left. Yep. out on the table for the Los Angeles Kings, but I, I get the sense that they're not done. And, and you know, 
kind of pulling it back and, and bringing it local here with the Vegas Golden Knights. This is a team that has had a relatively busy offseason so far, too. Of course, moving on from Pete DeBoer, bringing in new head coach Bruce Cassidy. That's a, a big blockbuster for the Golden Knights, but they didn't stop there. It was also the trade of Evgeny Dodonov to free up some cap space to the Montreal Canadiens, taking on the contract of Shea Weber that will go to LTIR go next coming next season. And then uh, there's a rumored deal out there, of course, nothing official announced from the Golden Knights yet on a potential Riley Smith contract extension. So it, just the first, you know, really four weeks or so of the Golden Knights offseason, we haven't had a chance to talk to you. Um, where are you at with where the Golden Knights are from the the end of the season to where they sit right now? Uh, take us through your thought process of their off season so far. It's been a busy one, like you said. I think you know I would expect there to be more to come. Just when you look at you mm-hmm. look at the cap situation, you look at the number of restricted free agents, uh, the couple UFAs as well. Definitely leaves some question marks still, but it's been productive, is what I would say. Um, I think the hiring of Bruce Cassidy. They, I, I think it's safe to say that Vegas won the coaching carousel competition, whatever mm-hmm. it is that you want to call yeah. it. Uh, I think so many people thought when Pete DeBoer was let go that Vegas had someone in mind and that they were just waiting. You know, there. I think a lot of people thought Barry Trotz initially, right? And who knows what conversations mm-hmm. were and weren't had with different coaches. But the fact that Bruce Cassidy didn't even come on the market until a week before he was ultimately hired, which was a month total from the time, you know, that Pete DeBoer was let go shows you that they were really doing their due diligence and they were staying patient. And that's a fine line you have to walk there because in staying patient, you could lose some top candidates. You never know what's going to happen. But I think that they won that. And when you look at how many teams had vacancies, when you look at the different coaches that were on the market, I think that he's going to be a very good fit here. I think that his um, hunger to win is very much in line with that of the organization. And it's not to say that that hunger was not here with previous coaching staffs at all, but that coaching, the previous coaching staff had been let go, right? So it was important to bring someone in that was going to have that hunger. And now what I love is that you have a team that has something to prove, but you also have a coach that has something to prove um, on a completely different, you know, level. He wants to prove he was openly bitter about the way things ended mm-hmm. in Boston. Maybe not bitter, but not in agreement. Bitter might have been a bad word. I hate to, you know, give it a negative connotation, but that's what I like about it. Um, as far as the Evgeny Dodonov trade, you know, you were going to have to open up you were going to have to open up some cap space, right, in order to sure. in order to yeah. make things happen. So, uh, it made sense, you know, it was already it was great that both Dodonov and the team were able to move past what happened around the trade deadline, but it happened, right? So mm-hmm. it, it makes sense to kind of cut that tie from that perspective, I would say. Um, so now the interesting thing is just going to be what's to come. But, you know, it, it's been busy. Uh, we talked about Bruce Cassidy, but now yesterday uh, the coaching staff is in place, and that's a huge step. Uh, so now you really get an idea of what the identity is going to be, you know, what, who else is going to be behind the bench, how the players might react to that, all that. So really, it's, uh, the work's mm-hmm. really just getting started for those guys. 
Yeah, absolutely. And you you brought up a really interesting point on Bruce Cassidy when it, as it relates to the Golden Knights is that you've got two entities, right? That that were not together last year, but coming into this season, they have a lot to prove. I guess the question that I have uh, along that thread is who has more to prove? Is it the Golden Knights collectively as a team? proving to the hockey world that last year was an anomaly or is it Bruce Cassidy proving that you know it was unjustified to be moved on from in Boston because he was not the 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 issue in that city because he's a damn good hockey coach see I think it's a combination of the two I don't think mm-hmm. yeah. you know I think there's going to be the the two games that the Bruins and Golden Knights play each other and there's going to be animosity there. But I think it's going to be a matter of two separate entities coming together to have something to prove. And you think about his hunger because of the situation in Boston, but you also think about the fact that in 2019, only three years ago, he lost in the cup final. He made it that far. You know, that he's not that far removed from that, especially when you consider one of the three seasons in between was very much a shortened season. Um, you know, he's been hungry even before that happened in Boston. So I don't, I don't want to paint a picture of, you know, that he's scorned and that's why he's hungry. I just think it's, I think it's a good fit because I think it's someone that has something to prove. I think it's someone that really, really wants to win. Um, and I also think, you know, people, the question was, did he rub any young players the wrong way in Boston? Or was there young players mm-hmm. that, you know, didn't accept his message very well? I feel like the young players in Vegas are very mature. And I don't know the personalities yeah. of the young players in Boston. But I think about a guy like Zach Whitecloud, for example. And he wants <laughs> to do whatever it takes to win. And he says stuff that is way wiser than anything I could think of half the time. So, you know, I, I just don't see that being as much of a problem. Um, I don't think this Vegas team team is a team that has a problem you know being told how it is uh you know mm-hmm. you have a guy like Jonathan Marcheseau who's vocal in the room and he's not afraid to tell how it is so I don't see why they would have a problem with a coach doing the same thing um so yeah I just I think it's a really good fit I'm really excited for it uh he definitely has just the winner kind of attitude you, you bring up a really good point in that the Golden Knights, yeah, there are some young players, but the maturity level on this team is through the roof and the desire, right? The mm-hmm. desire to win. And, and it's not to take away or suggest that the Boston Bruins don't have a desire to win. Of course, every single team that plays in this league has a desire to win. But when you look at the Golden Knights top to bottom, you hear that same message. We want to win a Stanley Cup. We want to break through. We want to get to that point as a team, as an organization, because of, of it means the world to them as players, as individuals. It means the world to this, this community, this city. And I just think that when you've been so successful, when you went to a cup final in year one, when you've been to multiple conference finals in the aftermath of that, and you have come up short, you need full buy-in to get to the next level. And I think that there's an easy way to look at this as, this Golden Knights team isn't going to have an issue with buying into a message completely. I, I think if it, if it is a situation where they believe they can get 1% or 2% better and that's the difference between losing in a conference final and winning a Stanley Cup, you're going to get buy-in completely from everybody on the roster. Yeah, I agree. Something else that I like is that you know Kelly McCrimmon made the comment at the end of the season that he didn't feel he feels like you have to get better as the season goes on and then you have to be your best in the postseason and I think something mm-hmm. given 
the injuries did have a lot to do with what I'm about to say for sure. But I think what the Golden Knights lost a little bit this past season that was there previously was just being really difficult to play against. And I know fans love yeah. to look at the number of hits and the fights, and it's it goes so far beyond those things. So it's not necessarily a matter of that. But it at times it didn't feel like teams were as it, – it didn't feel like they were as hard to play against. You know, teams would – put up more goals yeah. on them, teams would get more shots on what whatever than in years past, right? And you look at what yeah. Bruce Cassidy did with the Boston Bruins. No one's wanted to play the Boston. No one wants to play the Boston Bruins. You all no no even if they're not <laughs> having the best of the seat like the, one of their best seasons, yeah. you go when you expect that to be a difficult game, right? And I don't think that Vegas completely mm-hmm. lost that last season by any means, but it it wasn't as prominent as in years past, and they know that. They admitted that, and again, injuries had so much to do with that. So it's in no way pointing fingers, but I do think you look at the fact that Boston was so hard to play against the entire time Bruce Cassidy was there, and that bodes well that maybe Vegas gets back to that identity where no one wants to come into Vegas, no one wants to have to play Vegas. They know that you know it's going to be a tough night every single night. Uh, I think it's going to kind of boost that culture back up yeah you you bring up some really great points in terms of the identity moving forward for the golden knights and that's a topic i want to kind of continue in on on the other side of the break i want to get to the the announcements yesterday from the vegas golden knights in fleshing out the coaching staff for bruce cassidy what that means for the golden knights identity come next season as well we're going to get a little bit into the cup final and we're going to chat a little bit more with ashley in her first year here covering the vegas golden knights all that is on the other side of the break right here on fox sports las vegas we're back to the vegas golden knights insider show on fox sports las vegas 98.9 fm and 1340 a.m Rolling along on a Wednesday, the VGK Insider Show. Ryan Wallace joined by Ashley Vice, special co-host with me here in hour number one. We've also got Jared Justice playing the sweet tunes. Thanks for the Blink-182. It doesn't have the same feel as it does when 19,000 people are singing it in unison, specifically looking at you, Colorado. But uh, one of the great songs from one of those bands from my childhood that I just enjoy listening to and coming around to again and again and again as an adult. But I do want to finish this this thread on the Golden Knights and the offseason that they've had so far because, Ashley, we, we've talked about Bruce Cassidy and you know some of the things that he's going to bring to the table, but the, the most important one for me for the Golden Knights going into next season is special teams. We know how good Bruce Cassidy has been historically with the power play. Is that the main area of emphasis for you that that the Golden Knights are going to need to improve come next season? Yes, but it also the you know the season that they lost to the Montreal Canadiens in the conference final, it was an issue that season as well and they made it all the way to the conference yeah. final. Now obviously the goal in yeah. Vegas has never been the conference final. The goal has been the the Stanley <laughs> Cup final despite only, you know, being an organization for 5 seasons. That's always been the expectation. Um but Yes, definitely. It's really, it's difficult. Um, You know, something the Golden Knights said throughout this season was it's one thing to not 
produce on the power play and it's another thing when the power play sucks energy out of you right and yeah that was the, that was the biggest problem and you know you think if you're a player too like you're you're gonna buy into whatever Bruce Cassidy has to say about the power play as mm-hmm. well right like we talked about the buy-in of course you're gonna buy into whatever he has to say he clearly knows um you know he's admitted that he's gonna have to you know make some adjustments just because it's not the same players right but I think it's definitely going to be an area of emphasis. I think it has to be. I think, especially come postseason, it makes way too big of a difference, you know, to not have a power play going um, and, you know, penalty kill as well. Like, you need that energy boost, the boost that comes from a massive kill. you got to have those things as the season goes on. And and the, the beautiful thing with Bruce Cassidy, at least with his teams in Boston, is that they kept goals against down. Mm-hmm. They kept scoring chances down. And whatever they they were unable to produce at five on five, historically their power plays have been very good. And I want to kind of draw some attention to uh, the the fleshing out of the coaching staff yesterday, the announcement that John Stevens has been named assistant coach with the Vegas Golden Knights. Sean Burke also named to as the the director of goaltending and NHL goaltending coach. So the the Sean Burke one is interesting because we've got extensive extensive um, work at the NHL level. But John Stevens to me is the one that that I'm really going to hinge on here because you're talking about a guy that's going to take care of the defensive the, the, the defense for the Golden Knights and it's a guy that has extensive knowledge within the Pacific Division he was a head coach for a little bit with the Los Angeles Kings he won two Stanley Cups with that organization as an assistant coach to Daryl Sutter like there's a guy that's been a winner there's a guy that's been a head coach, a bench boss in the National Hockey League, and it's a guy that really understands this division inside and out. I think with Bruce focused in on the offense and John Stevens focused in on the defense, it it provides or at least creates that that hard-to-play-against persona that you're expecting from the Golden Knights next season. Definitely, and that's what we talked about last segment is that's what – Vegas wants to get back to right being hard to play against mm-hmm. teams being afraid to play you every night because it's going to be hard to find any time and space that's what that's what they want that's something that John Stevens is going to bring like you said he is also very familiar with the division and that's huge um, I, we also talked about you know the, the decor here is already so good and you bring in a guy like John Stevens how dangerous is that? And you have, you know, I talked about the maturity of Zach Whitecloud and how you expect a guy like him to respond well, regardless of a coach's coaching style. Um, but him, even Dylan Coughlin talked about, you know, being a sponge to Alex Petrangelo all of last season. Like you have all these guys that just want to learn. And so I think he's coming in to a decor that is also already so strong that that's going to be huge. Um, you know, sticking to the topic of some of the younger players, John Stevens also has uh, two sons, one of which was actually drafted by the St. Louis Blues, Nolan Stevens, but he's now in the Minnesota Wild organization. Uh, but he's young. He's only 25. And, you you know, I hate to make any assumptions about, you know, someone's personal life and how their relationships are within their family and whatnot. But you, you he has a son that is young, mm-hmm. that plays the game, it gives you, you know, an expectation that he knows how some of these young players work, right? Like he has one, um, not at home, but, you know, that he reasonably talks to on a regular basis and yeah. whatever it might be. That that kind of makes me think he gets it. You know, he gets what these young kids, you know, are like these days because he has a couple of, a couple of his own. Um, so I think yeah, that's it, a big bonus it, as well. It's totally, I know that's totally a, a random, t- a random take, but that's what I'm here for. 
Well, the to, to be honest with you, like it, it falls in line with with that that era of the Los Angeles Kings winning Stanley Cups, right? Because yep. you had a young team winning. You had a young Andre Kopitar, a young Drew Doughty, a young Alec Martinez kind of coming up through the ranks of learning what it takes to win in the National Hockey League. And they had John Stevens on that bench. So there's mm-hmm. the relatability with, with having a, a kid around this age uh, kind of the, that you're that you're bouncing ideas off of or you're, you're talking to on a daily basis to, to get you there. But you've also got proof of concept in his ability to deal with younger players growing into bigger roles on a Stanley Cup champion. Yeah, definitely. And the winning pedigree that's just you, once you're around it, it just gives you a new like you, you think about how everyone talks about Alex Petrangelo and Alec Martinez. Everyone just wants mm-hmm. to learn from them. Right. And I think that yeah. because John Stevens uh, has been around championship teams, it's going to be the same thing with him. Everyone's going to you know, want to know what he has to say. Everyone's going to have, you know, their eyes and ears open to what he's saying, what he's doing. And also I bring up hunger again, even with him, you know, he's been a head coach twice in the National Hockey League. You know, that's mm-hmm. he wants to be good, not only for the team, but for himself. Right. I mean, you assume that a guy who's been a head coach twice would eventually like to get back to that point right now i hate to put the cart ahead of uh cart ahead of the horse is that the, is that the saying i don't want to butcher that um yeah. I, I hate yep. to I hate to get ahead of myself or you know already definitely not trying to ship him off the vegas bench as soon as he you know it gets onto the coaching staff but you have that hunger right because he's he's done yeah. it before and you assume that you know even for his own career he wants to continue doing that so it's that theme of hunger that i really really like and has me so excited for next season like october can't come fast enough yeah, are are you are you there right now? Like as much yes. as as the Golden Knights oh have gosh. given us stuff to talk about in the off season, it 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 all really pales in comparison to getting everything going in September. Uh, I, I'm there too, and, and it's surprising that I'm there. But I think that the fact that that you know, unfortunately, we did not have Golden Knights playoff hockey. Like that's pushing me ever so slightly in that. Okay, let's get to October. Let's get this going because there's a lot to like about what's golden knights right now yeah it's crazy how long the off season seems when it ends when it does right like it feels Mm -hmm. like it it Mm -hmm. feels like it's time to get going again right uh and it's not quite um that's not necessarily a bad thing because it's giving the golden knights plenty of time to figure out what they're going to do whether it's with players whether it was taking their time hiring the coach whether it was you know ironing out the rest of this coaching staff that was just announced yesterday so it's a good thing but for impatient people like me yes like i said earlier as soon as the as soon as the game the final game of the stanley cup playoffs is played the cup is awarded i'm immediately like what do I do with my evenings? Even when, you know, it goes from <laughs> it goes from games every night to games only every other night or every three nights. I'm mm-hmm. like, what? What am I going to do? That's so, you know. Anyways, you obviously, it would be much better to be seeing the Golden Knights playing than any of these other teams uh, this last stretch. But hockey's hockey, so you take it where you can get it. Yeah, the, one of the saddest days on the calendar is when you get to the actual Stanley Cup final and there's a game every other day and you don't have that gap, like that that filler in the in the next day. Like you go from games every day to 
okay, now it's really winding down. Now we know that the hockey season is about to end. And on on that topic, let's talk about how the National Hockey League season ended. It was not with a dynasty. It was not with uh, the, the Tampa Bay Lightning making modern-day NHL history. It was the Colorado Avalanche dispatching the Tampa Bay Lightning in six games. Well, your thoughts in general on the Stanley Cup final? Well, first, I kept waiting all postseason for Colorado to slow down. I don't know about you, but I kept thinking it's coming <laughs> at some point. They're yeah. going to slow down, yeah. and they just didn't. I, I didn't. I, you know, Tampa you know, won the two games. I was never convinced that Colorado wasn't going to just um, win it once they got to that point, though. Once they, you know, yeah, got up to nothing in that series, it felt definite, right? Especially when they went up. Uh, 3-1 in game four. That's when it really felt like, oh, well, they're not going to slow down. Uh, I felt like really the closest they got to slowing down was the second round against St. Louis. But I also, I feel like every team that wins has like a moment or a storyline that you circle and you're like, yep, that's what it, that, that's what it was. That's what really did it, mm-hmm. catapulted them. And I think uh, the drama between Jordan Bid- Biddington and Nazem Kadri, and then the the atrocious stuff that followed. I don't want to make light out of you know the issues yeah. that Kadri had following that. But the way the team rallied behind him, and then he ends up getting injured, and then he comes back and scores the overtime winner. Like that's that all of that storyline. As much as I felt like mm-hmm. you know that was that se- second round series was the closest they got to anyone actually giving them any trouble at all. I also feel like that was the vi- the little bit of adversity that catapulted them right to right to the top so yeah i don't know i kept waiting for them to slow down they just didn't when you're talking about a team that only lost four games it's it's hard to find the the adversity is that that it i haven't even counted that yeah four that makes sense yeah because they swept two yep st louis and six tampa and six that's wild isn't it yeah i will say tampa and four the tampa the injury list it's always shocking but tampa's injury list was pretty wild yeah, their their injuries were extensive, and and like, listen, I I give Tampa all the credit in the world to getting to three, right? Like, I know they wanted it. I know you want to win this third one, and and there's there's a whole host of reasons why. No one else has done it in the salary cap era. That's number one. No one's done it since the '80s. That's number two. You have an opportunity at immortality within this sport. That's number three, and it ha- it would have been in a regular season meaning there's no bubble there's no intra-division only play it was 82 games it was contested under as normal as circumstances you're going to get in COVID like I know how much Tampa wanted it and when you look at the injury list for them they willed themselves into the Stanley Cup final and came within two games even though they didn't win it is impressive it is impressive but since you're on the that topic the pro tampa how impressive they are doing all of this you put out a tweet today asking people if they rubbed you the wrong way you're trying to get twitter all Mm -hmm. worked up all fired up so i think we should talk about that naturally okay so here's (laughs) here's the issue that i have with with the tampa bay lightning and and it's not so much that i i I'm angry or frustrated or upset. There's there's a certain level of awareness I feel like you have to have when you have won multiple Stanley Cups, right? You've 
been the beneficiary of some really big breaks if you're the Tampa Bay Lightning, specifically uh, when you score in the Eastern Conference Final with seven men on the ice. It's disingenuous to me to come out and complain about it when it happens to you because those calls are always going to even out over the course of an entire season or two or three or four. And it just felt so weird to me that a Tampa Bay team that has won two in a row would would kind of hinge that that idea that it's been taken from them or they they were were screwed out of a win or whatever the case may be because as much as John Cooper wants to make uh, the the idea or wants to put the idea out there that if not for that blown call Tampa would have won game 4 the way that they were playing it was not happening Colorado was going to win that game whether on that goal or another goal it was going to happen so I just feel like the complaining in the cup final was was for me a little much, given the context that this team has won the last two Stanley Cups. See, I feel like he didn't straight up complain immediately after. He was just emotional. And I, I agree that calls go both ways. That's what like, goes without mm-hmm. saying. You're going to get the bad breaks, but you're going to get the good breaks, and it's going to even out. But that was so pivotal that I completely understand the emotion. You're talking about tying up the series. or I get what you're saying. Colorado was going to win the game no matter what because they were outplaying them. But can you imagine if Tampa won that game? I actually think we might be having a different conversation if it was Tampa that scored in overtime. And it's also... It, it was Kadri was the extra man, and he's the one that ends up scoring, right? He's the one that, that hopped yeah. over early. Yeah. So that's like an extra nail, like an extra dagger. Oh, man, sure. I understand the emotion. I, I am team never complain about anything because I think that teams <laughs> that end up winning are the ones that, mm-hmm. like, brush off literally everything. And even if it's really bothering them and they talk about it in the locker room, they play, you know. Mm-hmm. They play cold and tough to the media. I think those are the teams that, you know, especially in the final, make it that far. But I understand also. I think that we underestimate. I think So I don't know what Tampa does. I remember looking at Twitter, and it said, I, I just saw the tweet that someone was quoting Kadri because someone asked Kadri about what John Cooper said. And he said, I don't know what he's talking mm-hmm. about. So I'm immediately like, oh, my yeah. God, what did I miss? Because I, you know, it was late. <laughs> I turned off. I say late. My bedtime's 9 o'clock. So I turn off the game as soon yeah. as the as soon as it was the overtime winner was scored. Um, but I, a lot of times coaches and players are talking like five minutes after games. And that's so fresh. And so I have a hard time really blaming anyone for stuff they say immediately after because um, I can't imagine having to talk in the heat of a moment after. But I get what you're saying. Mm-hmm. I also just think it was so pivotal, though, that I, you know, sure. I, I cut him some slack. And and I'll be I'll be honest with you because I did come on the program in the aftermath of that game, and I said it's brilliant from John Cooper. It annoys me. It bothers me because I. I don't want to hear you with your two Stanley Cup rings complaining about anything, but it was brilliant coaching because it took all the emphasis off of Tampa and put it on this controversy, and it bought them another win and a little bit of hope. we got to take a break. We're up against it, but when we come back, we're going to wrap up the hour with Ashley. We're going to look ahead to hour number two. We've all got all that coming up right now on the VGK Insider Show right here on Fox Sports Las Vegas. This is the VGK Insider Show on Fox Sports Las Vegas, 98.9 FM and 1340 AM. Now back to Darren Millard and Ryan Wallace. Wrapping up hour number one of the VGK Insider Show today. And special thanks to our guest co-host, 
Ashley Vice for joining us for the first hour. Um, as is customary here, especially when Jared is in, we allow Jared to ask everybody a stupid question. So go for it, Jared. It's time for Jared's stupid questions. Hit me with it. What is your weirdest, what is the weirdest celebrity comparison you have ever gotten? Oh my gosh. Because on vacation, <laughs> someone said that I looked like Josh Brolin, and I went, You've never Ooh. seen Josh Brolin. I'm trying no, to. No, 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 from the Goonies. Oh, thanks. You, 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 look like, you look like young Josh Brolin. When I was young, I got Blair Waldorf from Gossip Girl. I haven't gotten that in a long time, and that's not that weird. And I have a feeling that a lot of our listeners don't watch Gossip Girl, Ryan. I don't have a good one. Yeah, Do you I, have I one, Ryan? Uh, I don't. Um, like, I have a beard. So I've been, like, I've been known for people to say, hey, you look like that guy that has a beard and wears flannel shirts. Like, I, I've been, <laughs> well, I guess the brawny man. That's a like lumberjack. the brawny paper towel guy. That's a lumberjack. Yeah. To me, that's. That's what it is. Like it's fine. I, I don't mind. I don't. I don't think that I have a celebrity doppelganger. But hey, let me know. Hit me up on Twitter at Ryan Hockey. I'm gonna let be thinking about this think all my... day. Okay. Well, you know what? Let us know when you get it zeroed in. Thanks for jumping on here, Ashley. I appreciate it. We'll chat Ryan. with you next week. Hour number two is coming up next. Hour number two, VGK Insider Show, Ryan Wallace alongside Jared Justice back in studio as we move along into a little bit more discussion on the Los Angeles Kings, a little bit more discussion on the big-time trade today in the NHL and its impact on the Vegas Golden Knights, but also a look at the Golden Knights offseason so far, what we expect is still yet to come, and what the Golden Knights should view or how they should view the Stanley Cup championship win by the Colorado Avalanche. And to help us to get to all of those topics, to all of those individual topics that are going to see to flow seamlessly in a great conversation we bring in the nicest man in the media here in vegas and that is ben goes with the lost view journal hey ben how you doing not too bad well doing a lot better after that intro i'm just glowing i'm on cloud nine right here i'm, I'm all excited to talk some hockey now i go out of my well, way I, to I, try to annoy him when i bring him on yeah, the air of course you do I'm not surprised by that. I had to, like, listen, I don't know if you know this, Jared, but I was actually able to hear your entire conversation with Ben when you called him and, and had him ready to go here. So I figured I'd give Ben a little bit of extra love, but <laughs> you don't really need the extra love, Ben. You, you always have time for us. I always have time for you. So let's let's start with a little, a little Los Angeles Kings news, and I know that this impacts a team that uh, you've got a connection to in, in the Minnesota Wild a bit. But the, the big trade of the day, it's the Los Angeles Kings getting restricted free agent Kevin Fiala from the Minnesota Wild for a 2022 first round pick. I believe it's the 19th overall pick and University of Minnesota captain Brock Faber. They go the other way. So uh, from, from the Golden Knights perspective, it's the Los Angeles Kings fortifying a roster that made the playoffs last year. Yeah, absolutely, and I really love this trade for the Los mm -hmm. Angeles Kings. I think they needed to get more dynamic uh, up front. They have a lot of really good players 
I think up there, especially on the Kopitar, is still bringing it. Uh, Adrian Kempe had a really good season. I like that they brought in Victor Arvidsson uh, last offseason. But Kevin Fiala is that kind of you know dynamic kind of game breaker on the wing that I think could really help uh, the Los Angeles Kings, who, despite the fact that they had, I think, a very surprising and impressive season last year, you know, weren't the highest scoring team. They still struggled on the power play quite a bit. I think Kevin Fiala can provide answers to a lot of the problems that they had and really kind of start to really take, you know, what has been kind of a lengthy rebuild uh, to this point up another gear where obviously the Kings, I think it was impressive that they made the playoffs last season. Now it's all about maintaining it. I think Kevin Fiala can really help them do that. Um, And I like that, you know, they've obviously hoarded assets for so long now and had all these draft picks, developed all these prospects to the point where I don't think, you know, the give where they gave up that first round pick uh, and Brock Faber, uh, who I actually uh, very much like as a University of Minnesota uh, (laughs) alumnus who watched him a little bit in the NCAA tournament. I think he's a very good player. Uh, The problem I guess if you're Brock Faber, you're not even their best right-handed defense prospect because the Kings just have mm-hmm. an avalanche uh, of riches there, including Brant Clark, who was a very high draft pick uh, recently. So the Kings, you're not giving up much that's probably going to affect your roster uh, anytime soon because you don't really need another prospect with that first-round pick, and you don't necessarily need Brock Faber because you've got other guys in the system. What you do need is kind of the dynamism that Kevin Fiala can bring. And so I think they got a lot better today. Yeah, I, I do too. Um, I don't get the sense that Los Angeles is done. And, and like, I, I'm going in like all in on chaos here and we know how much the Los Angeles Kings have kind of glowed about the, the Nashville predators back in the day when the predators were scoring a lot of goals and going to Stanley cup finals. Like, is it, is it outside the realm of possibility that, that the Kings are not done and that their big, big splash outside of Kevin Fiala is taking a run at Philip Forsberg. If he gets to UFA. I like where your head's at. I could totally see them still uh, making a splash <laughs> there. The guy that I have my eye on for them though, cause I think, you know, like I said, they've got, you know, Brant Clark in the system, but I think their kind of current blue line, they have a lot of solid guys, but they don't have anyone that, you know, is necessarily a game changer, even though I thought Drew Doughty actually had a nice, you know, bounce back season for himself before getting hurt. Mm-hmm. If they could get Jacob Chikrin away from the Arizona Oof. Coyotes, I really like what that would do uh, to their blue line. So that's another, you know, kind of big target for them to go out and potentially get now they lost the first round pick in this deal with uh, the Minnesota Wild, but they have enough you know ammunition still with their prospect pipeline to make something like that happen. I would think if they want to uh, with the Arizona Coyotes, I would imagine the bidding for Chickering is still going to be pretty strong. He's still got you know three years left on his deal at a pretty reasonable four point six million dollar cap hit if he gets back to the player he was not this last season but the one before that, where he was just hugely impressive uh, for the Coyotes. I, I think that could be a guy that they could go out and target as well. And I think that's a good thing, you know, if you're the Los Angeles Kings, is, you know, you have options. Uh, anyone that you want to go out and get, especially via trade right now, as they just, you know, proved mm-hmm. with this Kevin Fiala deal, you have the ammunition to do it. Now, obviously, you don't want to, like, completely empty the cupboard and kind of blow everything that you've worked so hard to build for years and years 
but you know they have enough guys in the pipeline that they're not going to be able to get them all uh, to the NHL. So I definitely think there's a chance that even around you know draft night, even though they don't have you know a first round pick day one, that they could still be active and trying to you know turn some of these kind of future assets into present value to kind of continue to either stay in that Pacific Division hunt or even try to you know climb the standings based on you know finishing third this past season. I, I'm only going to counter with this. I think Sean Dursey can be the Jacob Chikrin, and he's already here, right? Like he's already there with the Los Angeles Kings. Got a, a lot of experience in in likely in an unlikely season where you didn't expect that you were going to have to rely so much on Sean Dursey. I I think that the answer to kind of that conundrum for the Kings is already in house. So that's why I'd like to see them use those dollars if they can uh, in not moving anything else out, but bringing in uh, a player, the likes of, of a Philip Forsberg. I think they need one more dynamic upfront forward player. Uh, but you know, that that's, that's, kind of my my own opinion on Sean Dursey, who I'm, I'm really high on for the Los Angeles Kings. But, uh, you know, you, you bring up kind of this, this idea of the Kings pushing themselves forward or moving themselves forward within the Pacific Division. And the, the question that I have when it comes to the Pacific Division is this season, this past season, it was all about flux, right? It was all about Calgary ascending and Los Angeles proving something, the Golden Knights running into injury issues, running into a whole host of things and falling a little bit. Uh, and and I look at next season in, in a very similar vein because there's questions surrounding who's going to be with the Calgary Flames next year. Are they going to lose Johnny Gaudreau? Are they going to be able to find a way to re-sign him? The Edmonton Oilers don't have goaltending they're never going to have goaltending until they decide to have goaltending, and you never know if they're going to decide that they want to do that. So to me, like the Pacific Division is is a division that is constantly evolving and changing year to year, and next year is going to be no different. No, absolutely. And I think a lot of it is due to you know the flat salary cap, and teams are just having such a hard time. Uh, staying together, obviously the Flames. I think they have a lot of fascinating decisions this offseason because not only is Johnny Gaudreau, you know, an unrestricted free agent and potentially going to market, uh, you know, Matthew Kachuk is an RFA, so are they going to be able to satisfy him long term and get him locked up? Uh, Andrew Maggiapani, who had a breakout season, is a restricted free agent. Oliver Shillington on the back end, RFA. They need to figure out what they to do with him. It is a tough salary cap puzzle for Brad Tree Living and the Flames, you know, to put together when they're probably just desperately trying to hang on to the magic of last season, which, you know, resulted in a division uh, title, but, you know, an unfortunate second-round exit. And it's a little bit similar for the Oilers. Obviously, you kind of know that your top guys are going to be there with McDavid and Dreisaitl, but, you know, there's some important guys up in the air, too. You know, you have to pull Yarvi and Kyler Yamamoto uh, up front. you don't know if Duncan Keith is going to retire on the back end, and obviously you don't necessarily know whether that's a good thing or a bad thing for the Oilers. That is something they have to figure out, you know, in the next two weeks here. Uh, and obviously, I think the goaltending yeah. question just looms over everything about are they going to return Mike Smith if he comes back? What does it look like? Because just the weirdly weird thing to wrap your head around with Mike Smith is that I think overall, especially the past two years and even the postseason this year, the overall numbers are actually pretty solid. It's just when it goes mm-hmm. bad, 
oh my word, does it go bad, <laughs> and it just becomes an absolute mess. And so, yeah, as you said, I'm so fascinated to see, you know, if he decides he can still do it. If he does, what do the Oilers do? Do they go out and spend on like a one A one B goaltender? Do they just promote? Uh, Stuart Skinner from the American Hockey League, they're in a tricky spot. Um, and same with Vancouver, who made a really nice charge at the end of the year under Bruce Boudreau, but they've got a ton of salary cap issues um, in terms of they have to decide what to do with Brock Besser, who's an RFA, JT Miller and Bo Horvat are one year away from unrestricted free agency. Do they have to move one of those guys or risk losing them for nothing? So they're in a tricky spot, too, where I think you know, they obviously with the whole Bruce there it is thing, they had such this kind of you know, fun vibe over the second half of the year after kind of cleaning house, but it's not going to be just as simple as they're kind of going to build off that and then make a playoff push next season. The flat salary cap makes it just so hard for all these teams to kind of maintain and build, and so that's why I think it's just going to be another kind of interesting melting pot next season where I think you you talk yourself into a lot of different scenarios of how these standings are going to shake out before we even kind of get to a lot of these decisions being made. So I like I'm conflicted, Ben, because Mike Smith returning and playing out his contract and the Edmonton Oilers just going back to Mike Smith and and it'll likely be and Stuart Skinner. Like that to me is chaos theory to the 10th degree, right? Like because you know, you know for 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 a shit like you know that it's going to to go bad. You know that at some point in time Mike Smith the rails are going to come off and it is just going to be an absolute disaster. And yet part of me wants the Oilers to go back to that well one more time just to underscore how flawed that idea is, but then the other side of me is like Connor McDavid's 25 years old. Leon Dreisaitl's 26 years old. We are literally wasting their prime with terrible goaltending at the worst possible time of the season. Like, I don't know how to reconcile this desire for chaos and funny things to happen to Edmonton with also wanting to see Connor McDavid put up 50 points in a postseason. Yeah, I'm on the Mike Smith team just because Mike Smith is objectively the most entertaining option. <laughs> Like, it's not even close. Like, as just a neutral, someone who wants to, like, sit down and watch something interesting happen, that's Mike Smith in a nutshell. I don't know whether it's going to be good. I don't know whether it's going to be bad. I don't know if it's going to be just flat-out atrocious and he gets pulled in the first period of a very important rivalry playoff game. But I will likely be entertained. And I really appreciate Mike Smith providing that to me over the past couple years, and especially this postseason. It was just a absolute roller coaster ride, uh, but all the way to the Western Conference final roller coaster ride, uh, to his credit, even though it ended uh, in a horrible, horrible sweep. So I, I get what you're saying. I think, obviously, if I were, you know, Ken Holland and Mike Smith was kind of like hemming and hawing and, you know, trying to figure out whether he was going to come back with, I'm sure, all the nicks and bruises that he has accumulated over the years. I would kind of be like, you know, champ, if you want to ride out to the sunset, that's probably okay, and we'll try to, you know, see whether Billy Huso or Jack Campbell will pick up the phone, which is also part of it that I think, you know, those guys are interesting options, but they are very much less fun options, and I'm also not convinced that they're ultimately going to be great options for the Edmonton Oilers if that's the route they end up going down. 
Uh, but just for pure fun entertainment watchability value, I would prefer Mike Smith go back to the Edmonton Oilers. That, that's just my philosophy on it. Ben Goetz with the Las Vegas Review, Review Journal joining us here, and uh, we're going in a completely different direction because of what you just said, Ben, and I, I hope you're ready for it. Um, should the NHL adopt the Mike Smith Award, and that is awarded to the player that might not be the best at what he does, but he's the most entertaining game-for-game player in the National Hockey League. Like, when Mike Smith finally hangs him up, and who knows, that might be in about 10 or 12 years, do we get a Mike Smith Award for the most entertaining player game-for-game in the National Hockey League? I would love that. The problem is I would be worried, based on certain things that uh, happened this season, that there would be a lot of fights started over it, a lot of broadcast commentary about how we actually don't want this award in the game because I think we should be all about fun and encouraging fun. And if we want to put, you know, Mike Smith and Trevor Zegras in the same category, just play Trevor Zegras yeah. and Mike Smith highlights or lowlights uh, on like a five minute clip during the <laughs> NHL awards show. Uh, I'm all for that. I will pitch that to Keenan Thompson uh, next season, especially if the NHL actually brings the award show uh, back here. I just hope that we could get the uh, older school, more traditional uh, hockey people to get into this. I would love to have John Tortorella, even though he's now coaching, to you know turn in a ballot uh, for this award. I think the coaches vote for certain awards. I would love to give Torts a vote for the most fun player award and see what he would come up with. Uh, if we could get people into it, I think it would be fantastic because there are some legitimately uh, exciting people in the National Hockey League. Mike Smith, not always exciting for the right reasons. If you are a mm-hmm. Ken Hall and Jay Woodcroft, or especially you know a once in a generational star in Connor McDavid, <laughs> but as someone who's just on the couch with a bucket full of popcorn, it's fantastic, and so I would be all for it. Yeah, I, I think we fleshed this out sufficiently. It's the most exciting player in the league award, and it's voted on by the coaches. Absolutely, I, I think they would all love it, right? They would all be all for it. I could absolutely see you know just. Sports really thinking, really studying the ballot, watching clips, burning the tape, burning the midnight oil. Obviously, I would hope mm-hmm. he would take this just as seriously as he does all the other parts oh, yeah. of his job. And I think that would be just absolutely fantastic to see uh, what these group of uh, enlightened 32 hockey men would be able to come up with for us. Can, can you imagine sitting John Tortorella down and just saying, listen, you have to watch fun highlights? You have to watch. Just I just want to, you know. Obviously, he's not coaching the Anaheim Ducks. He's not even in the division. I would just love to have a film breakdown of Torts just watching Trevor Zegers all the time. All the, you know, uh, obviously there's the Zegers, there's the Michigan goals. I would just love him to just like have to break that down on a segment on you know ESPN. Obviously, he's not there anymore. But I, I I will miss that that we couldn't have done that with him at some point this off season. When we're all starved for hockey content, just have, you know, John Tortorella rates the Michigan or rates the Zegris and just goes through a bunch of clips of high school, college, pro players and just, you know, give them, give them, you know, hold up a score, give them a card, see if it's a 10 out of 10, an 8 out of 10. I think we missed out on something here with him going back to his actual, you know, first calling card, which is coaching. Um, ben, did you get a, a vote for the NHL awards? Yes, I did. First time ever. 
Okay, how how did you you don't have to go like in depth or in detail, but like what was your process when when going through your votes? Like how much of of a process was it for you? It was a fairly uh, extensive, I don't know, like a bunch of pages uh, in my notebook kind of thing. <laughs> so obviously this is happening like end of the regular season, so the Knights are on uh their final road trip when all this is coming out so like before the blues game because i wasn't as invested in my pregame research uh that game for mm-hmm. you know notable reasons i spent like a couple hours just going through obviously kind of the normal stats i went through natural stat trick a lot where i'm trying to track you know obviously some of the more advanced stuff like Corsi and scoring chance percentage and all that stuff weighing that against kind of that player's team averages, weighing that against some of the other players on that team, weighing that against, you know, that player's line mates or, you know, players on the team who they do not play against and stuff. So it was fairly, you know, extensive. I tried to kind of get uh, deep into it, you know, just like obviously one of the things that I think people would be curious about is I did have Roman Yossi above Kale McCarr for the Norris Trophy and kind of the ultimate tiebreaker that ended up happening for me was that, you know, obviously, Kale McCarr was spectacular, and he was still second on my ballot, and I'm very happy he won the Conn Smythe and everything because he was an incredible player who had an incredible uh, postseason. Uh, but, like, you know, when doing the regular season research, I thought he played very well with, you know, a lot of the Avalanche's top players and, you know, was less successful with, you know, their non-top players, which is totally fine. But uh, Roman Yossi, I thought, even when he was away from guys like Philip Forsberg and Matt Duchesne, was still driving play a little bit more, and especially compared to a lot of his peers on that team, and just had such a dominant effect on his club's overall results that that kind of propelled him, uh, for me, to the top of the ballot. So it was a lot of digging into stuff, a lot of comparing, you know, guys to each other, and obviously comparing them based on kind of how the team was with them on the ice, how their team was with them off the ice, all that kind of stuff, comparing them how they were with certain other members of their team compared to how they did without certain members of their team. Um, so it was like, you know, I think I spent two pretty good chunks of an afternoon, you know, coming up with it before I ultimately uh, turned it in with the, whatever, I think five or six awards that we ultimately get to vote for as writers. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm going to ask this question and, and I'm, Given the fact that that you just kind of went through your process and how lengthy of a process it was, I'm just I'm curious to see if you have or or can hazard a guess as to why this particular ballot happened at all. Okay, there was a writer, a writer who did not have Austin Matthews or Connor McDavid on his Hart Trophy ballot. They did have Roman Yossi on their Hart Trophy ballot. But then when you go to their Norris Trophy ballot, they had Kale McCarr winning the Norris over Roman Yossi. How does that work? So that is stuff that I'd like, that's like galaxy brain stuff that I don't like to get into where people are like debating whether like who provides the most value versus who is just the best player. And they're like nitpicking these like, you know, iotas of words that are contained in these like award description. And I Try not to get like too caught up in that, and just go with the heart of like who had the best year. Like it's that simple. Mm-hmm. And for me, mm-hmm. even beyond the advanced stuff, that one was where I tried to like you know go K I S S, keep it simple, stupid. Uh, a guy scored <laughs> sixty goals. 
that's insane. That doesn't happen every day. That's pretty cool. Um, and it was still a little bit tricky because for me, uh, I had Igor Shosturkin second. And that mm. was a little tricky just because, like, there's the whole goalie debate that you have of, like, where should a goalie be in the Hart Trophy race compared to a skater? If you are determining that a goalie is eligible for, you know, the Hart Trophy in your mind, shouldn't a goalie always win it? Because goalies are the most valuable position on the ice in a game-to-game basis. But how do you weigh, you know, Igor Shosturkin's, you know, not complete season versus Austin Matthews, you know, almost playing kind of a, a full season in terms of full 82. Uh, so that was the one tricky part there. But, uh, yeah, like I said, I try not to, like, overthink these things too much where it was like, uh, Austin Matthews is incredible. He scored a lot of goals. He was actually very good uh, defensively in terms of kind of suppressing scoring chances against while he was on the ice, partially in part because he just mm-hmm. kept the puck in the offensive zone the whole time and then shot it past a bunch of goalies. And, you know, that was enough for me to be like, uh, he's awesome enough that, you know, we probably give him the uh, MVP award and uh, not overthink this too much. Uh, same with, you know, obviously, you know, Connor McDavid, maybe you could, you know, like I said, galaxy brain yourself into saying like, well, he and Lee and Dreisaitl are both very good. So they can't both be the most valuable <laughs> player uh, because they're both providing so much value. But Connor McDavid's awesome. He is incredibly good at hockey. Lee and Dreisaitl is also extremely good at hockey, and I considered him for the Hart Trophy ballot. But I thought McDavid was the better year. He's one of the best players in the NHL. He deserved to be on the ballot. Like, don't overthink it, people. What did you think of the cup final? I thought it was uh, overall very, very awesome. I loved, obviously, the storylines and the drama between those two teams. I remain just insanely impressed that the Lightning uh, went as far as they did, especially considering just the huge dump of injuries that they threw uh, on everyone yesterday through mm-hmm. general manager Julian Breezeball. All the guys they had banged up, obviously Braden Point out for the majority uh, of the playoffs. I thought it was so impressive that they hung in there and they made it as far as they did. But uh, I thought just overall Colorado was awesome. Their speed, their skill, their depth uh, was overwhelming. Uh, the talent that they've just managed to uh, acquire. Joe Sackick is somehow as good as his, as his current job as he was as a Stanley Cup winning mm-hmm. captain, which is ridiculous <laughs> that someone can be that good at two of the most critical jobs uh, in hockey. So I thought the Avalanche were the deserving champions. I thought six games felt about right, but I was just so impressed with the collection of talent that Colorado was able to assemble, how they obviously withstood a lot of their own injuries to just basically never um, miss a beat and roll over what I think was a really impressive and really resilient uh, Lightning team that I just think by the end of this super long run, of you know, deep playoff success, just didn't have enough left in the tank to keep up with the Avalanche ultimately. So when you look at kind of the Colorado Avalanche winning the Stanley Cup, I, we do this thing where we just anoint them as the next big thing and that we expect Colorado's going to go to a Stanley Cup final next year and then the following year because you know that's really what the, the Tampa Bay Lightning have done. So whoever dethroned them has to take on that mantle. But let me ask you this question. Between Colorado and Tampa, who do you think is back in the cup final next year? Which team is more likely, in your opinion? So, I mean, my real answer is I wouldn't peg either of them as terribly likely. (laughs) I I would still probably go Colorado because I think, 
you know, the Western Conference is still probably a little bit more wide open um, than the East, especially with all of the good teams in Tampa's division. Like, I mean, they obviously had to go through a ridiculously crazy path just to get uh, to the Stanley Cup final where they beat Toronto in the first round, beat Florida in the second. Those two teams are still going to be there in their division next year where I think Colorado is still going to enter as one of the Western Conference favorites. But, man, are they vulnerable, and it is not a sure thing that they're coming back. I mean, their salary cap is just insane, all the pieces that they have to try to either find a way to bring back or just let go. Where they only have 14 guys under contract right now. Um, They have $25 million in salary cap space, which sounds like a lot, but not when you think about all the guys that they have potentially walking, which are, you know, Nazem Kadri, Valerian Nechuskin, Andre Burakovsky, uh, Darcy Kemper, their starting goalie for the you know, Stanley Cup playoffs, not under contract. They have to find a way to you know, try to get some of those guys back. They for sure won't get all of them back. Arturi Lekkonen, they also have to re-sign as an RFA, which I imagine they do. Uh, and, oh, Nathan McKinnon's just absolute sweetheart of a deal is finally running out, uh, not this season, but next one. And so I would imagine potentially as early as this summer, uh, Joe Sackick's going to have to back up the Brinks truck for Nathan McKinnon, which is obviously going to really hamstrung them in future years salary cap-wise for a very good reason because Nathan McKinnon is an awesome player. But I don't think you know the depth that Colorado was able to assemble this year, which was so impressive and propelled them through four rounds of the playoffs while only losing four games, I just don't think that's going to be there uh, next year. Maybe they're able to reload at the deadline again like they were able to this year. Uh, they are missing their second-round picks for the next three drafts. They don't have quite as much ammunition as they've had before, and they probably aren't going to be as willing to part with prospects because they're going to need some cheap talent in the coming years. Uh, but I think they're still going to be very good. They're probably still going to be the favorites in their division, if not the Western Conference. But it is not going to be an easy road back uh, for the Avalanche. Their depth is going to be really tested throughout next season. Beautiful, beautiful stuff as always, Ben. Doesn't matter what direction we go. You've got great stuff all the time. Uh, where can people find your stuff? How can they interact with you on social? Yeah, so you can check out all like my written work and stuff at reviewjournal.com. Twitter handle is at Ben S. Goats, G-O-T-Z, uh, pronounced like the animal, spelled like Goth, uh, G-O-T-Z. Uh, so you can check me out there. Uh, have a bunch of stuff that's gone up uh, this offseason. We'll have plenty more. In the future, especially as things start heating up in the coming weeks. So, yeah, should be good. All right, Ben, thanks so much for jumping on here. Thanks for joining us. Hopefully we can get you on before we go on hiatus in a couple of weeks. So keep uh, keep your eyes out for the text message asking for more of your time. It is coming, I promise. Sounds good. I'll be ready. That is Ben Goats with the Las Vegas Review Journal joining us here. When we come back... We got one-timers, and it's a little bit different as Jared's going to ask me some questions. Well? Maybe a two-on-one. Petrangelo gets it. He shoots. He scores! It's time for one-timers. One-timers. Short-handed goal. Alex Petrangelo. Quick looks at some of the biggest stories of the day on the VGK Insiders Show. One-timers brought to you by Paul Powell. More lawyers, less fee. It's going to be a little 
different this time around as it usually is when Jared Justice is in with us. Instead of news and notes from around the NHL, it is Jared Asks Ryan Questions. That's what that's what one-timers turns into when we have Jared Justice back in studio. So, Jared, ask me your questions. All right, so... Um, if you missed any of the first hour, we did a little bit of Jared's Dumb Questions with Ashley and something we didn't get a chance to ask Ben because you guys were, you know, d- discussing hockey and it was really good and I didn't want to interject <laughs> and be like, hey, Ben, one last question. Uh, but let's, between you and I, who do you think, who do you think Ben Goats looks like? Because I have one, but I don't feel like it's fair to him. Because it's based on the picture that I wow. randomly have of him in my phone. What what picture do you randomly have of Ben Goats in your phone? Okay. So I did not know Ben Goats, but I knew Ed Graney, and Ed Graney gave me Ben Goats' contact, but he sent it as one of those files. And so mm-hmm. Ben Goats is one of three contacts in my phone with a picture. Which is just a weird hmm. thing to think about. Like apparently an ex girlfriend, my best friend, <laughs> and Ben Goats. <laughs> Um, so I'm going to, I'm going to, like, I'm looking at Ben's Twitter profile right now, which is, you know, not at all weird given the context of this conversation. And I'm going to say that Ben Goats looks like a a Golden Knights player. I I, I think Ben Goats has a little Matthias Yanmark vibe going on. Okay. See, that's, that's pretty good. And that's staying in your wheelhouse. Mm -hmm. I had the two I had Mm -hmm. was he looks like. The grown-up version of a Nickelodeon teen star, like Drake and Josh, or he looks like the guy who only sang country music during the first couple seasons of American Idol and would always get voted out, like, as soon as they made it to Hollywood. So so nothing specific, then? (laughs) Well, okay, like, specifically, he looks like, what if Drake and Josh did the fusion dance? Okay. Where I was thinking about this when you were like, I look like a lumberjack earlier. I was like, now you kind of actually to me look like if if Ron Swanson and Adam Scott from Parks and Rec kind of fused into a person. Yep. Yep. That's that's a fair assessment. Um, I I don't get like celebrity doppelganger thrown at me often or or ever really. Uh, And I think again, a lot of that has to do with the fact that I, I have a a big beard and I wear flannels and I, I don't tend to um, look like celebrities. Uh, but yeah, like I'll, I'll give Ben the, I think he looks like a hockey player and it's Matthias Yanmark because I want him to come back on the show oh, okay. and you, uh, well, you, you probably ruined that already. No, no, he, he doesn't listen. I mean, I, ho- I mean, that's, I hope that. All right. What hockey player? This was one of the ones that we discussed in the break with Ashley. What? But I want to, I want to change it a little bit. If you had to pick a golden knight who you would think that guy sneezes like a kitten, <laughs> which one? Sneezes like a kitten. Okay. Um, I, you know, um, like a kitten? Yeah. Which, which hockey player? I'm not. Gonna, I'm not going to say a golden knight. I'm not. <laughs> well, I'm not li- doing it. You like, like the, to. Ki- you the, like to. You like paychecks. I understand. <laughs> okay, listen. The funny. The funny golden knight answer. The funny golden knight answer would be Keegan Colasar, right? Because like yes. I, I think he's one yeah. of the more imposing golden knight players. So like that would be the funny answer. It's not my answer, but the funny <laughs> answer would be Keegan Colasar. Um, it, it kind of in that vein. 
Like, if I'm going to open it up to the National Hockey League in general, there are two players that I think would be really funny. And I'm always going to kind of lean that way. It would be hilarious if Zdeno Chara sneezed like a kitten and if Tom Wilson sneezed like a kitten. That would be just really funny. Okay, I was going to go Marchand. Just yeah. because, no, just I just think yeah. it'd be really funny. Just just like he's in the middle of an argument yelling. And just, yeah, I mean, Zidane Ochara is like <laughs> yeah, seven and a half G feet G tall yeah. and, and a, <laughs> an imposing, imposing force. It'd be, it'd be hysterical. That's, I mean, okay, yeah, I think I think you win on that one. Um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's that's pretty good. Um, so let me let me actually shift into actual. Well, these aren't actually going to be hockey questions. But okay. Tyler has been do posing this question on our show, um, the press box, where you give up the NHL for $100,000 a year. The Oh, no, you give up the MLS for $50,000 a year. You give up the uh, NHL for $100,000 a year. You give up the NBA for five hundred, NFL, $5 million. I don't really remember the numbers, but I want to twist mm -hmm. that on its head. In order to keep watching hockey, what are you willing to give up? Um, in order to keep watching hockey, what am I willing to give up? That's a that's an interesting one. Um, I offered my liver, but we determined it holds no value. No, no, like I'm not gonna give up anything. You have two kidneys inside Ryan. of my body. Two kidneys. No, no, I, like I I would I would give up um one of my televisions. Well, I would I would give okay. up a television. To keep watching hockey, like it, it, it's it's a hard, it's a legitimately hard question for me to answer because there have been times in my life, not recently at all, but like there are times in my life where I have gone quite a while without watching hockey, um, and given the fact that like I'm I'm a dad and I've got a yeah. lot of things kind of pulling my time away, like you you kind of view you kind of view the ability to watch a game a little bit differently than you would if say you don't have kids or you don't have some of those extra responsibilities, whatever the case. Uh, I'm fortunate, I guess is the way that I'll put it. I'm fortunate that I'm able to cover hockey for a living. I'm fortunate that I have a paycheck that, that allows me to watch hockey and talk about hockey. So um, I don't want to give anything up. I certainly don't want to give up that stuff because it's too much fun right now. Okay, see, you, you answered the question too earnestly. I was hoping you'd just be like, one goat. I will give up one goat. But no. All I'm right. not allowed to give up the goats. I've been told. Well, I've been been. No? Okay. I thought that was... I, okay. I, I, I thought that I, was... I, want, I thought, I I thought the timing was good. Um, all I right. want him to come back. Uh, all right, so final final question before we need to head into break or if you wanted to, there was something important you actually wanted to cover. I know the NHL draft is coming up and yeah. every year, like I, maybe not every year, but there's like, there's guys like Connor McDavid where it's like, duh, that guy's going to uh -huh. be this. But then every once in a while, it's, you'll look up like, didn't Mark Stone get drafted in like the sixth round where yeah. it's sort of like, are they throwing darts at the wall to a certain extent? Or is it just genuinely like, well, he's 16. We we don't know how the muscles are going to work out. We hope. Because that's I yeah, very I, much, I'm like, the NFL draft makes sense to me. This guy fast, he's 22. This guy slightly faster, he's also 22. We'll take the slightly faster one. Well, you're talking about 
22-year-olds versus 18-year-olds, right? And there's, yeah. there's so much development that's left on the table when you're drafting kids at 18 years old. And now it's not to suggest that they can't go and, and fill out and, and get that development and, and come back and be better players than a lot of people expected them to. But, you know, in, in the case of, you know, your examples, like Mark Stone... I think the, the question was always going to be his ability to get up and up and down the ice, his ability to get around the ice, the, the skating stride. Like That's the thing that I think a lot of people w- were looking at and said, okay, this is why you don't go high, high round draft pick for Mark Stone because this is going to be something that if you can't get around the ice, even though he's got all these other skills, it's not something that you want to, to draft in the first, second, or third round. That all being said... There's something to be said about hockey IQ. There's something to be said about how you think the game. And if those things kind of get to a point where you're you're able to get into into game action, gamers have it and some kids don't. And you know, to me, there are individual physical attributes that certain high-level draft picks have. You talk about Connor McDavid, his speed is at another level, and it's at another level when he's not fully developed. So when he's fully developed, Oh goodness, look out, you get what you have right now in Connor McDavid. Um, but I, I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that they're kids. You're yeah. you're banking on potential for sure. But then it's whatever organization they get drafted to. Like the Tampa Bay Lightning are in Stanley Cup finals because they draft, they find gems late in late rounds, and then they develop them. They develop them incredibly well. Andre Palat was a seventh round draft pick, and he's got numerous big-time goals for that Tampa Bay Lightning team. If you can find a diamond in the rough and you have a good track record of developing that that those talents, then it doesn't matter where you pick. It doesn't matter how far down you are. If you believe you can turn any player into a contributor at the NHL level, that's what sets organizations apart. Oh, I just remembered. Okay, so I said that was my final question. I remember. I, I okay. forgot I wrote this one down. All right, uh, okay. you may not, you're not going to know who either of these two people are, and then after you answer, we probably Sweet. have to go to break. Uh, mm-hmm. Adrian Peterson is a ru- was a, is a former Beautiful running song, back, by the way. Yes, I mean I, we had to get to this, obviously. Um, sure. Adrian Peterson is a former running back. Le'Veon Bell is a former running back. They are f- boxing each other, or maybe they're fighting each other. I I need to reread the story. <laughs> but these are two guys that are like, you're, you you don't fight. What is what are you doing? Who are two hockey players that were never known for like actually dropping the gloves who you'd be like, I, I guess I need to watch this? And they're like in their forties. Hmm. Um Jason Allison and Jay oh man, Jason Allison, just because it'd be funny. And uh, Patrick Marlowe. Yeah. Going to go Jason Allison and Patrick Marlowe for no other reason than I think it would just be a really funny fight. Does that cover it? Yeah. Do no, you have questions? I'm, no, that's, I, it's not that I'm out of questions. We need to go to break. We're like two minutes over. I just am having too much fun. All right. All right. Those are your one-timers. Are a loosely uh, constructed one-timer segment brought to you by Paul Powell. More lawyers, less fee. We're back to wrap it up next on the VGK Insider Show. Hey guys, we're here at the Amelie Arena. The Avalanche just won the cup. I don't even know if they had it five minutes and there's a dent at the bottom already. Right in the middle of the team photo. But you know what, it's the third time the Avalanche have won it. 
I guess we have a little chat with them soon and uh, we'll go through the process of how we're going to repair it and that. But the Stanley Cup tour will go on. Do you know if it's how many times it's been dented before? Well, I guess it's a new record today. It's five minutes into the presentation. It's, it's happened. So it's the first time it's ever happened on the ice. We're back to the Findlay Chevrolet Fox Sports Las Vegas studios. This is the Vegas Golden Knights Insider Show. Here's Darren Millard and Ryan Wallace. All right, Jared. This is your segment, and you started it off with that beautiful, beautiful sound from Phil Pritchard, the keeper of the cup. He has a title. Uh, I can't wait to see how this ties in. No, it's all right. We were trying to find find an example of, like, Man, you just broke something you worked really hard for. And the only uh-huh. thing that I could even, like, we couldn't really come up with a good example. And I think the closest thing I kind of came up with was mm. back in the day, back when Vegas used to give out cars. <laughs> it would be like you signed the paperwork, the car is in your driveway, you've won it, you've signed mm. it, and it just falls the bat, like the bleep off the back of the truck. And you're just like, uh, 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 it's mine now? So it's interesting, right? Because like, I think the car analogy works on a lot of different levels. Um, the Stanley Cup still functions, though. So like, it would, it would be the equivalent to me of going to a car dealership, buying a car, pulling out, and accidentally taking a turn the wrong way, and all of a sudden you, you, you rip the mirror off. It's yours. It is what it is. But, you know, you ripped the mirror off. That's essentially what Nick Obey-Cobell did to the Stanley Cup. But, hey, the show goes on. Jared, you did a great job. Thanks to Ashley. Thanks to Ben Goats for joining us here. Chapman will be back tomorrow, as will I. Have a great night, everybody. We'll talk to you then.